1: Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book about women and faith is coming out this summer, and I want you to be the first to get all the details about it. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and today I'm speaking with Aaron Wheeler. Erin, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Uh, it's a delight, Erica. I'm so glad to be with you today.
1: Yeah. So, Aaron, you live in Arkansas. Is that still correct? Yep. Fayetteville, okay. Arkansas.
0: That, and the you Northwest it's... Corner. It's called the Crown Jewel of Arkansas, as well. Oh, like really? Yes, I have of
1: course. <laughs> been to Arkansas one time, I think to Little Rock. So, I probably didn't get like an actual, <laughs> like, view yeah, middle of, of the, the state. state. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: The Little Rock's fine, but Northwest Arkansas, we call her the crown jewel because this is the this is where the beauty and the fun is.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So you um are married to your husband, you have four children, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and your husband is the pastor of your church, is that right?
0: Yes, that's correct. We've been here for six years, six and a half years now. Um, it's been a delight. He's the the lead pastor here.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, I I reached out to you, Aaron, because I heard you on journey women podcast and you started talking about this book that you were writing about Mm -hmm. women and the church. And I was like, wow, That sounds a lot like some things I've been working on. And I just thought, man, I think we, I want to talk to her just because we're clearly have a similar mission in mind. And um, obviously two different people are going to write two different things. And so I just wanted to hear more about what your heart was and what your book is about. Um, So let me just start with asking you, what is the book about? And then we'll go from there.
0: The book is a a doctrinal work, um, which means in just regular people terms, it's a book that just lays the foundation of what is the church? What did God mean for the church to be? Um, Is there a purpose for it? Um, Biblically, can we support what that is? Or is this a man-made institution? So looking at that from a biblical perspective, with biblical eyes, so at the the first half of the book is all of that groundwork. What is the church? And then the second half of the book, part two, is kind of the workings out of the church. What, what do we look for in a church if we're going to go on a church search? Which is a lot of what people are doing these days. I mean, we've seen that happen, especially post COVID. I mean, do I even like my church? Why do I go to church? All those kind of things. So, in God's providence. This book started before the COVID pandemic hit. And so when I wrestled a little bit with the purpose of the book, you know, if there was even going to be an audience that women would want to read a book um, on the uh, understanding theologically what the church is and then COVID hit. And I thought, oh, goodness, there is such a need for people to better understand the beauty and the glory of what God has given as a gift to his people in his people, the church and uh, that. That's the, the heart and soul behind it. It was also, it's part of a series of books, actually, uh, of works written by women and for women to help them better understand theological truth. So it's the fifth book in the series, um, and it's called The Good Portion. And so far, we have uh, things on scripture, on salvation, so soteriology. Um, we have one on Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. Um, and we have others that are coming out on eccles- uh, Well on eschatology and times and the Holy Spirit and a couple others that'll be coming down the pipeline as well. So really looking forward to this.
1: Well, I love how you say, you know, understanding um, the theology behind the church and things like Mm -hmm. that, because I know for myself as someone who's really gone to church my whole life and I have just enjoyed it. And, you know, thank God I never you know, got off track and have always wanted to go back, but that is not the case for everybody. Mm -hmm. And as I begin to look into the purpose of church and the meaning of church and why God chose that as, as you know, the way that we are to live here on earth, I started to realize that a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't Mm -hmm. know that stuff. And if you do know, if you better understand the why behind why God wants us together in the local church, you can start to grasp and maybe see why it's worth making a priority if you've left or you know why it does matter more than just well i don't need church to have a relationship with god which of course i'm sure you've heard that that's a very common phrase that we hear Mm -hmm. so i love that you come at it from that perspective um i i'd love to ask you just personally what what draws you to love the church so much the local church specifically
0: Well, in all honesty, the local church is not always an easy thing to love. I mean, for any of us who've spent any time with other people, we recognize that we're a bunch of sinners surrounded by other sinners. And even if we're saved by God's grace into a local body, we're in the process of sanctification and we're not purified yet, which means we're going to sin against each other. And those are really hurtful, hard things. And it's things like that that draw people away from the church. That's where you get the things. The church is full of hypocrites. I want to say, yes, the church is full of hypocrites who actually know that they're hypocrites And know that they're fighting for, not salvation, fighting for um, their sanctification. They're fighting for holiness. They're fighting to be more Christ-like. They're not people who just go in and pretend. There are those people there too. But the church was created by God and for God, for his glory, as a means of having a people. From the Garden of Eden until we are with him in glory in heaven. He is about creating a people for himself. He created an Adam and Eve for himself and he created them for each other in order to glorify him. So I, the being with the local body is a means of being encouraged and spurred on. It also means that I'm going to be rubbing up against others and that as iron sharpens iron, and there's going to be friction at times. And it's at those moments we have a choice to make. Are we going to run away and say, everybody is awful and I'm just going to do this on my own. or are we going to recognize that when we come to faith in Christ, it's not, I become a Christian, but I become involved into a body of believers. I am accepted into this body of believers and it's a, we, it's not an I. And I think that's, there's this individualism, particularly for in America. I feel like this, it's me and Jesus. The phrase I always hear is me and Jesus were copacetic. <laughs> and I just think, uh, Yeah. I mean, I understand what you mean. (laughs) Each of us has to make our own personal profession of faith and repentance in Christ Jesus, but then it doesn't stop there. I mean, if you look at the way God designed it from the very beginning of time, and that's what Paul is at pains to say in the book of Ephesians, the whole book is so beautiful. So it's for the mystery that that was revealed in the past for the glory of his name, right? It's his people, it's his church.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, now when we think of church, you know, there's all different sizes of church. And Mm -hmm. I, I mean, do you have any thoughts about people choosing to attend a small versus a larger church or vice versa?
0: Yeah. I think there are, there are benefits and drawbacks to all of that. I think the, I think the main thing you want to look at, if you're trying to figure out like, where do I go to church? Is that kind of what you mean? Like, do I choose small or large? Yeah. I think it, it doesn't really matter the size so long as you can be known and you can know other people because there's a linking of arms that needs to happen. Um, we like to refer to it as meaningful membership because there are two kinds of things that happen. We have our individual discipleship with the Lord Jesus. Right. So or this way, I want to say up and down, it's us growing in the knowledge and understanding and love of him. But there is the discipling, which happens, and that's that's a horizontal relationship we have with other believers. That we need to be in each other's lives. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to inspire one another on towards love and good deeds. I mean, those are all the love, the one another commands. The scripture is filled with that in the New Testament. As we see that church post resurrection being established in that apostolic era, um, it is a there's all the one anothering, and you can't one another if there's just a one it requires an other in order to one another. And so when people say me and Jesus, I said, well, you're going to miss, are you supposed to do any of those? You you can't do that. And you can do that in a body of five people and you can do it in 500. Um, I think things become tricky if you've got you know, multiple services, multiple sites. Um, And I talk about that a little bit in the book, but I don't go into great detail about that. But there is a sense in which uh, it's, you need to be known by other people. If you just are walking in and walking out, that's not a meaningful membership within that church. But you, I I always encourage people to know, can, can, well, someone going to know that you're not there. Well, Mm -hmm. can you, can you come into a service and know that you may not know everybody? But there are going to be a few people who know are going to be checking in on you, and if not, then you do the due diligence of getting to know others so you can be known. And that can be really hard for certain personality types. But it's not as if the Lord Jesus doesn't know that. It's not as if He's not using that to sanctify you, you know, to grow you, to be bold and courageous, and do things that you don't think you can do. That's part of that Christian walk towards heaven.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think I agree with you that yes, you can certainly go to a big church and um, join small groups and and make yourself like proactively be accountable to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a lot harder, I think. I think it's Mm -hmm. much easier to disappear. And I think that could be some of what we probably saw during um, COVID because at my church, for example, I go to a very small church um, it was easy for them to make sure they were checking in on basically mm-hmm. everybody and mm-hmm. like check, 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 check. And then when we started meeting again, they could, you know, check in like, Hey, we've started I- individually. Whereas at a yes. larger church, like it's just very easy to go unnoticed if you haven't made yourself become noticed before. Right. And so it's yeah. kind of like, just think about that, I guess, as you were choosing where to go. And, um, you know, it's a bigger it's a bigger decision. I think choosing where to go to church, than people realize Um, as I've been thinking about this lately, uh, I'll, you know, occasionally just bring up stuff I'm writing about or thinking about. And people say, Mm -hmm. yeah, actually it would be helpful for me to know sort of what questions to ask when choosing a church um, Mm -hmm. and what do I need to know? And so, because when you're, when you're choosing a church, I mean, think about it, you're choosing like this family that you're going to be spending a lot of time with and hopefully loving on and serving with and serving them and all of these things. And so it shouldn't be made in a willy nilly way, really. Right. Um, Do you have thoughts on some of the things people should be asking when they are searching for a new church?
0: Yeah. I mean, you make a good point with the uh, size component to things. Um, but that is such, I mean, depending on where you are and the choices that are available to you, you know, in the churches that where you are, that may become so secondary that it doesn't matter if it's five people or 500 people, because the primary thing that you have to be looking for is, is the word preached Mm -hmm. is the word sung, is the word prayed. Um, if the word is not central to the gathering of God's people then that's not a place you want to be because if the word goes out, so goes the gospel. It's just a matter of the next generation. You may it's, it's one thing to assume the gospel. It's another to preach the gospel. So the gospel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, the fact that a man who was God himself came and lived on this earth and lived a life we couldn't live in perfect perfection, right? Keeping all of those laws and then died in the place for sinners who would turn from their sin and trust in him but then raised from the dead, that gospel message that gives hope for, for um, sinners is the main thing that needs to be the main thing in all things. So if uh, we say expositional preaching, that's where the point of the sermon is the point of the text applied to the hearts of the hearers. If that's the kind of sermon that you're hearing where that gospel message is proclaimed, that's a good place. That's that's where you want to make that place your home, because you're going to be fed a regular diet of God's word. And that's how we be, we're not conformed to the world, but transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds. Mm -hmm. And our minds need to be engaged. We cannot love what the heart does not know, what the mind does not know, right? And so the first and foremost is, is central is the word of God being there. So that's the first thing I would start with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's maybe sort of a hierarchy of like, here are the things that matter most and, you know, sort of go down the list and you're not going to get everything. And some things are um, requirements and some things are preferences and it's okay to have preferences, but you have to have, you got to get those requirements in there
0: (laughs) before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, I saw a quote on your Instagram from your book, I assume, Mm -hmm. that says the church should be the safest place for a person struggling with sin. Um, It's interesting. I totally agree with you, of course, but a lot of times people will think the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how do you address that concern if someone has that viewpoint? And do you think there's validity to why people think that sometimes?
0: Mm -hmm. I, I do think there's validity. And it's what I was talking about earlier in the podcast about the fact that the church does have sinners because no one is perfect outside of Jesus Christ Himself, right? And so when you have sinners all together in a place, even if they're redeemed by the Lord Jesus, they're still not perfected. We are still not in that perfected state until he, until we are one day with him. Um, it's funny because I, when I said that uh, in the book, I, I had to ponder it for a little bit because it is one of those things that's hard. It should. That's why the word "should" is in there. It should be. But it not. It isn't always, and that's because of that um, that default towards sinful responses. Um, I actually had a brother at uh, our um, in our church come up to me who was really upset with my quote and uh, talked to me about the fact that it was not a true statement, and I should not be claiming that uh, publicly. And I said, there's a lot that we say publicly that's hard for us to swallow. The Lord says a lot of hard things. I mean, uh, Peter looked at Jesus as what you say is a hard truth, right? Those are hard things. There are hard things, Um, but that doesn't make them untrue. Mm-hmm. The church should be the safest place for sinners because it should be a collection of limping people, sick sinners who know that they're in need of a savior. Um, and that's not an excuse to peace out and then try to do it on your own. If Jesus tells us that we are to be gathering together for the glorification of his name, then we obey him. We don't have a choice. Um, we we need to obey the commands of scripture and if he calls us to do that even if it involves us being hurt there's purpose in that suffering that we experience even with other sinners and the lord is using it not just in our lives but also in the lives of other people so we if we don't experience that if it doesn't feel like a safe place for us then let's make it a safe place for other people. Mm. The thing that I love to say to people who are hurting, who've been hurt by others, is like, I recognize you've been hurt, but you can be an agent for change in this. Like you can choose to be the person who's different and doesn't do it the same way. Um, I find uh, when people come into large churches, nobody knows who I am. Nobody cares who I am. Nobody gets to know me. The thing I say to them is, well, then you go get to know them. You invite people over. You practice hospitality, even if it's not reciprocated. And the same goes for safety. If the church isn't a safe place, then you be the one who's that safe place um, don't gossip, don't slander. The Lord has very hard things to say to us about that, but yet it still goes on. And that's a travesty and it shouldn't be that way. That is not how God ordained his bride to be, but we are not yet in our perfected state. And so, yeah, it does happen that way, but it shouldn't.
1: Yes. I I love what you're saying there about you go make it a safe place. That's, that's definitely sort of a, a track that I have talked about as well about You know, there have been horrific experiences uh, Mm -hmm. through the church, sometimes Mm -hmm. um, not through God, but through the individuals in the church. And, you know, my my thought is always, uh, well, we need you to get in there and help make it better and like help someone Mm -hmm. else not go through something like you went through. And Mm -hmm. you can lean on the, the God's like call to the church to know that's the right thing to do and then also know that you have maybe this call to to help improve things in some way mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. because as as the bible says you know we are all part of the body and when somebody's not there something's missing it's not going to work the way mm-hmm. necessarily or optimally if you're not there and so there's just there's something missing if you're a believer <laughs> and you're not participating in the local church um so let's see here. Um, you talk a lot in your book or I haven't read it cause it's not out yet, but <laughs> I was looking at the chapters. You talk yeah. about things that are specific stuff that, that I haven't seen a lot of people write at least to like more lay people about like the purpose of elders and deacons and church membership. Mm-hmm. And, and some of that stuff I think uh, can be scary to people. They're like, I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, I know even right. with us at my church, when we first joined like six years ago, um, I had never like formally like joined a church, even though I'd been mm-hmm. going to church my life. And we went to their info night and they were like, please sign this pledge wherever whatever. My husband who didn't grow. Wonderful. Up, That's yeah. wonderful. He was like, i, to I not that. signing anything. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, well, I mean, I didn't care. Cause I was like, well, whatever, you know, I will sign, but long story short, we're still there. And now we're members, but, um, but talk to me a little bit about the importance of some of these positions, um, that have been sort of set into place for such a long time.
0: Yeah, the positions like uh, Like elders, elders, deacons, and then also members. Meaningful membership.
1: Yeah, why do we have those, Mm -hmm. and why do we want to become members? Like you know, Mm -hmm. signing away.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a covenanted relationship with one another. So this is how we can practice. So. Um, A true church is one that practices um, the right preaching of the word and the right administration of the ordinances. That is something that if you read any systematic theology, there's not very much on ecclesiology. It's actually very interesting if you look at all of the big systematic theology books. Um, And it's it's a missing uh, area that is growing in study, I think, even more now. But um, for a while, it just was sort of assumed rather than taught. And so I think we're having to go back and talk about these things because it's become, people have become more laissez-faire around church and what it means, especially in the U S we have freedom of religion here that people don't have in other countries. So there isn't the need to be associated with other believers in the same way because of a more Christianized culture. Now, I think that's waning and I think that's part of what's happening here and why we're discussing church more now these days, but, um, these things that God instilled, these aren't just man-made institutions. The elders are in scripture. They were they were prescribed by God himself. Um, and when you see the laying out, of uh, uh, the structure of the church and what it was meant to be, you had elders who were to help shepherd and lead through teaching by administration of the word, most predominantly. And you had deacons who were servants or uh, waiters of tables is how they're often referred. Um, And those were kind of the servants of the church doing a lot of the work. You know, you see a lot of that in scripture too. Um, And so I go into that in more detail in the book. And the reason those things are important, because you need to understand the structure of where you're belonging. So, you know, what if you're in crisis, what what are you supposed to be doing? I mean, how are you supposed to um, know how to structure if nobody has a role, right? If there's no role, how does it, like there's a mother and a father and children, everybody kind of knows their role, And there's purpose and value in all of those roles. And so what has happened though, is we've upended it and we want everybody to be on equal playing field. It's like, well, yes, equal in value and dignity, but different in role and in function. So too with male and female roles, right? In the church as well. And so I think that's, that's part of the reason we go through it. This book, like I said, is the doctrinal work. So what the purpose of it was to help women have access to understand those kinds of things and why they're important. Because it's one thing for us to just go in and go out of church every Sunday or maybe into our Bible study midweek if we do that too, yeah. um, but not really care about the goings on of the church. And it won't matter until it actually does. And so that is the, I open the book with a story, a, it's a true story of what happened to me with a dear friend of mine who basically, um, she we watched a crisis of a couple in our church and we were discussing their marriage publicly at our meeting, at our members meeting, and she was really upset about this. And it was the discussion in our discipling time together about why we were doing that. It wasn't, so her understanding was that it was just straight up gossip. You have no right to be able to have those conversations about these people. They said, when you sign a church covenant, what you're doing in that is, like I said at the very beginning, remember, to know and be known so that we can help each other because sometimes we're going to fall and we need somebody to help pick us up. And other times someone else is gonna fall and we need to go one to help them pick them up. So we discussed uh, the fact that they needed some help. They knew we were having that discussion. The elders brought that to our attention, not so we could gloat over them, but that so we could pray for them and come around them and support them as a family does. So what I like to do when people get frustrated, when they hear me say this, like this makes a lot of people the hair on the back of their neck stand up. They get super anxious when I start talking about these things. But let's just take a family. And it's interesting because God uses that image of family. He uses lots of images to talk about the church. But let's just take the image of family. If you had your sister, Erica, was in crisis in her marriage, would you want to have a family reunion where nobody was talking about it? Nobody went up to her. Nobody prayed for her. Nobody supported her. Absolutely not right? What do you want? You would want to come around here. What can we do for you? How can we help you? Hey, there's this counselor. Maybe I can get you in to make an appointment. Um, Can I take your kids? You guys can go on a marriage retreat. I mean, any number of things you would want to do to support. And so what has happened is we've become defensive and we want to wall ourselves in and we don't want anybody to know the junk that's actually going on in our heart. But how else are we able to be able, how else are we to get those things out for others to help us unless we of a body of believers. We need to be in a family where we can care for each other's needs. Um, our church covenant is uh I, I love our church covenant and I wish I had it in front of me, that would be a good thing. But it's to care for each other's burdens and sorrows, right? To mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep, but also to rejoice with those who rejoice. So when we have weddings, most of the time if our if the weddings at our church, the entire church is invited to the wedding, not necessarily reception, right? That's costly, but the wedding ceremony is is a membership thing. We together collectively are celebrating this couple because they're coming into our family and uh, we want to be a part of that. And um, I think there's just the reluctancy is the fear that it's the fear of man at its root. We are afraid of being exposed as a fraud and being known and we don't want our stuff to be out there and talked about. And so that vulnerability makes us afraid. And I think that's a lot of what happens there.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great example. And I, I totally, even myself sort of, am like, oh, you know, thinking about mm-hmm. a bunch of people in my church talking about my mm-hmm. marriage, for example. Um, but I see why it matters, which is, a, this is so full circle because that's why it matters so much what church you choose to go to and how you have to be mm-hmm. so prayerful about it because you're entrusting so much to them. Um, but I also kind of got this visual in my mind as you were saying that of you know, here's this couple that's in trouble and it's like this weight, you know, pressing down on them. And then I kind of saw like, well, here hear all these other people coming around them and ho- mm-hmm. helping them hold the weight up and helping yes. them find a the way out. And mm-hmm. that is true of many things. Um, we need people in so many aspects of our lives,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: how much more powerful and um, like divine is it to have it to be. Um, your church family that's doing that with God's guidance and God's direction. Um, it, and so it just has a, a whole new level level and layer of meaning. Um, and it is really opposite of the way people think these days, I think. Yes.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think that we have to recognize <clears throat> that when part of our body is injured, I mean, if you've ever gotten a splinter but it gets lodged in there and you can't get it out. Do you know how hard it is to just type, think, read a book? I mean, it's annoying. That's because one little tiny part is injured. And that splinter is wreaking havoc on the whole body. So when we try to ignore it or cut it off or, you know, disregard it, that it doesn't work. You can't do that. And that's why I do believe that God created those images for us, those visual pictures of what the church is supposed to be for one another. Now, that's not to say that every single detail of everybody's life is out there on full display. That is not at all what I intend to be saying. I'm talking about true crisis, like that. that's a different thing. So, and you've got the small groups. Take, for example, you talking about earlier the small groups and can help deacon serve one another in those small group entities um and and that should be happening all over the the, the place so just like if a family they've one, if your sister to go back to that example with the family if your sister's child is having a hard time the whole extended family may not know about it but a couple of you may right but if it gets to the point where let's say that child has to go and be institutionalized right then the whole extended family we probably know to be able to support. So there's a sense in which not everything comes out, but but there is a, like a hierarchy of needs there of how we work through that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, well just thinking, looking back on the past two years um, and mm-hmm. looking ahead, what's your sort of big scope perspective on what's happened? Um, the church mm-hmm. not only went through COVID, but we've been through a lot of things everything. with politics yes. and race mm-hmm. and it just feels like so like almost not scary. I, don't, I wouldn't say scary, but frustrating and it's divided, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's I mean, that's a big question to ask. What do you think about all of that? The state of the church. Yeah, the state of the church. <laughs> um, but, you know, having been through the past years and moving ahead, hopefully things are going to get a little bit back to normal. Um w- do we lose a lot of people because of that? Um, was it good or bad? Mm-hmm. Because, sorry, I'm, I'll just go off one little tangent here. Something mm-hmm. that I wrote recently was that I think COVID, in a way, had a weird silver lining because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people that were um, cultural Christians are mm-hmm. out, they weren't doing anything anyways, they were actually making it, like infecting it in a bad way, cut off, you know, they cut off the uh, the bad branches or whatever. And so we're, we're almost having like a, a healthy renewal in some sense, not in all areas, but like the people that are going to church now really want to be there. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. So I'll let you go off that.
0: <laughs> well, there are a number of things you said there that I can talk about, but one, you're talking about what we call the purity of the church. And so the purity of the church is that they, you have the church that really exists, we call that the invisible church, that's the church through God's eyes. You know, there are people that are a part of the church who claim to be believers that are not. And we know that there's no way for that to happen, um, for us to know exactly who is and who isn't a true believer in the Lord Jesus. But the Lord does, right? But to the best of our ability, when we gather as believers in that idea of practicing meaningful membership, the reason you sign that dotted line Um, is because you're saying, I, I do believe that the Lord Jesus is the Lord and savior of my life. And these people are declaring that to be true about me. It's we, the image I use in the book, that's from a a faithful brother of mine who used the image. Um, but he, we talk about, it's like passports to, um, a country. We hold a passport and the churches are embassies. They're like little outposts all over the world, declaring to the, to the, the unbelievers. This is what God is like. So when we talk about the way we live our lives collectively matters, not just for our own. I've been talking mostly about our own personal sanctification, right. And purification, but we have to remember it's so much more about us. It's more about the Lord God himself and who we declare him to be collectively. So we're all like little pieces that together make a huge billboard sign declaring who God is together collectively. Mm -hmm. So if if there's a broken piece, if one's not declaring well, you know, it's it, it can mar that billboard. But if half of the pieces are down on the billboard, you can't even see the sign. We don't even know. And so that's why the purity of the church is so important. And I think you're right. I do believe that COVID has helped um, strain out a little bit some of that cultural Christianity, particularly in the States. I've seen that happen. Um, and what you're getting is those who want to declare themselves as citizens of a heavenly kingdom they are willing to uh, withstand some of the hardship that's going on they're willing to go through some of this hardship because they recognize that they're serving a king beyond all kings um, a king above kings and the lord above lords Um, and i think that covid race relations we've got financial crisis we've had emotional um, crises are going on our children today with between all the digital stuff and all the COVID stuff uh, are hurting terribly. We have all kinds of uh, struggles mentally with our kids, all of that. But there is one answer behind all of that. And that is that the Lord Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That is our ultimate hope. And we start putting our hope somewhere else. It's not going to happen. And that's, we're going to fall short in that. And so the purity of the church holds out hope is because if we are gospel declarers and together collectively hold out a gospel witness, then we are ultimately holding out hope in broken and fallen world. So if we are a minority who's been marginalized, if we are somebody who is financially unstable, if we are somebody who's gotten super sick and has lost loved ones because of COVID, which is a reality for many people, the Lord has hope that he holds out for us. And that hope is experienced Individually with him and then corporately together with his people. He means it to be both.
1: Yeah, oh, that is yeah. so good. Um, and part of what you said a little bit earlier on in that um, about it's not about us. It's about God, which we mm-hmm. can say that literally every day when we're mm-hmm. doing anything. So um, true. I was uh, doing an interview for something I'm working on um with Terry Lee Cobble, who does the mm-hmm. Bible recap podcast. Bible
0: recap, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that's like, you know, so successful, which is cool. Actually, the story I'm writing is about how Bible podcasts are like crazy topping the charts, which is awesome. Um, but she was just what she says in the Bible recap is she's like, I don't have application points because This isn't about applying it to your life. This is literally about learning about God and that's it. Like we're just learning about God and we're honoring Mm -hmm. God. It's not about you and what you take from it and what you're going to do with it. I mean, there's a place for that, but um, I had not necessarily thought of it specifically like that before. And I think so many times you see this a lot in, in a lot of, um, I guess, Conversations, I, I don't even want to say the word deconstruction because it's so toxic. Mm-hmm. But when you that kind of conversation, mm-hmm. it is so much about the person. And it's not, I'm not trying to say that you're a bad person if you deconstruct, because that can mean so many different things. But what I am saying is if you're reevaluating your faith, the first question shouldn't be about you, it should be about God. And mm-hmm. that's hard to swallow. Um, but I think it's an important really key point that is like buried
0: constantly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and that's why I start the book that way. The very first chapter is God's plan and purpose for the church. I don't start with what is your understanding of the church? Yeah. It's like that, that isn't where we start. We should start the, the history begins and ends with the Lord himself. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay, Aaron. Well, I could probably talk to you about a million things, but we will, <laughs> we will start to wrap it up. I will. I I, I always ask people what they're reading. Um, if they have any suggestions on that. But I first have to mention, I saw that you are a fan of CrossFit. So I think we're already friends. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did CrossFit for many years. I'm sort of out of the game now because of my back problems, but, Mm -hmm. um, do I do love it. And I have done many a Memorial Day Murph myself. So
0: good for you. That's great. I love it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so so, so tell me,
1: do you have any books that you can tell us about?
0: Yeah, I just, I'm, yeah, I'm in the, um, like three quarters of the way through Amy Gannett's fix your eyes, which is beautifully written, um, on top of it, just being a great resource. Uh, so again, I love when we get, there are wonderful books, uh, on systematic theology written by men and they're longer, but that's, she's kind of in that same, like writing by women, not just for women, like we're not writing just for women, but there is a sense in which some of the illustrations or applications we may put in there will be more feminine. And I think it's really sweet to have that. So I've been delighted reading that one. I have stopped a couple of times and just thought, Oh, I mean, just big smiles, super thankful for a sister like that and her labors. Um, I um I've been doing a lot of rereading of my own book, which is really funny. <laughs> you just realized yeah. like, oh, I would change that or I would have fixed that. And that's just fine too. Um, I am I'm always reading the novel at some point in time. So there's always some particular novel that I go through. Um and right now I'm like, what's the name of it? I'm gonna have to look it up now, Erica. <laughs> what is the <laughs> name? I'm like, shoot. Um, I listen to a lot of audible because I run. And so Wonder Boys by Michael Chandon. So okay. a friend of mine just recommended that to me. And it's a very different and interesting one, but um, I'm, I'm thankful. I think my most favorite one I just read was The Personal Librarian. So it's about, okay. it's a World War II historical fiction. Always That's good. been good too. Those are too. always so good. So, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I always, I have about seven or eight books on my bedside table. So they move from systematic theology to Christian lit of some kind, like Christian living. Um, and then I always have some academic work that's going on. And I'm also reading a book on menopause for women and fitness because I care Listen, about those
1: things. You and I have a lot of the same piles yeah. because I in <laughs> the same way I always have so many going on. I have Amy's book in my pile. Um, haven't yeah. read it yet, but it's sitting there. Uh, you just uh, wait. You'll be so <laughs> delighted.
0: It's been oh truly so good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I totally get you, um, on the book world head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Erin, thank you. So tell us, uh, where and when we can get your book and how to stay in touch with you.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, if you want to find me there. Um, I'm right now just kind of getting more into the, um, being able to promote the book. Everything's kind of new for me on all this. I don't, I, I started writing just simply because, I really desire things of the Lord to be in the hands of women, um, and very easy to, uh, what we, the word, the keyword right now, you'll hear a lot is uh, accessible. Mm-hmm, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's how I try to write is to make things accessible. Um, I have three teenage girls. And so wow. two, my two older girls, uh, actually read the manuscript with me. Um, and my 17 year old daughter particularly was wrestling through some questions she had about baptism. So I said, you know, I would love it if you'd read the chapter, particularly again, with what you're asking and see if it answers the question. And it sort of did, but not all the way. So I went back and edited that work. This is before I had turned the manuscript in. But it's amazing how much my my little girls have helped me and just encouraged yeah. me even um, in that work. But um, the book is released March 11th and You can get it at Amazon Christian book distributors, anything like that. Um, and yeah, please spread the word about it. We not just because I'm trying to promote a book, we're trying to promote healthy churches Mm -hmm. that are billboards that declare the Lord's glory. If we truly love the Lord and desire him to be known by others and, and care about the lost, the best way that we can do that is by demonstrating it together as collectively as a people of God. So there are other books in the series that I would really recommend too. So, um, it's, uh, the good book, uh, not the good, sorry. Christian Focus publishing is who has published this work and they have, like I said, four other works that are out there as well. So the, it's called the good portion. Okay.
1: All right, Erin, thank you so much for coming yeah.
0: on. Thanks, Erica. It's been a delight to be with you. This episode was brought to you in part by the truce podcast.